This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man with a little reminder that Eldoran is not far away. It's somewhere in California. Here is the captain. Yeah, and if it's not in California, then it must be up your butt. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. You know you're lucky, Captain, when you open up the fridge and you see more great beer from the good people over at Tactical Brewing Company in the garage fridge. And this one is a beauty. In fact, it's called Beauty in the Venom by Tactical. ABV, 6% garage grade, 4 out of 5 bottle caps. And here's some beautiful people out there that we would like to give a shout out to. First up, a big cheers to Norman Schmees. In Baltimore, Maryland. And a big We Like Your Jib goes to Mariah Est in Houston, Texas. And last but certainly not least, we have a shout out to Sandy Christensen in Kearney, Nebraska. Everyone we just mentioned, they went to our website and they donated to the beer fund. And for that, we are grateful. Yeah, B-W-E-R-U-N, beer run. Do you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs? Yes, please. Then you need to go to Audible and check out Nick's new book, one of many. He's going to write. He's going to write like a thousand books. But you want to you want to check out the first one, and it's available on Audible. It's called the Delphi Murders: The Search for the Man on the Bridge, narrated by the great Kevin Pierce. Some people ask me why you didn't read it yourself, and I said, "Look, I'm a, a writer, not a reader." He never learned to read. And that's enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. On this show, we talk a lot about monsters, depraved killers, rapists, robbers, home invaders, People who are just evil, people who are on the fringes of society, who normal citizens describe as odd, sick, or just off, people whose inner depravity shows on the outside. But who are the scariest monsters of all? The ones who don't look like monsters, the ones who blend in, the guy next door, the nice guy, the friend to all. 
Our story this week tells the story of one of these nice guys, a man who everyone said was charming, charismatic, and intelligent. This man was considered by those who knew him as an all-around great guy. But this man had another side, a dark side, that he kept hidden from everyone until it emerged with an explosive urge to assault, terrorize, and attack. This would happen over and over again with this man, with unknown numbers of women and girls being victimized by this monster until he finally killed someone. When police in Maine finally caught up with William Joel Kalk, he was already arrested by the authorities from New Hampshire, picked up in North Carolina. After he's in custody in New Hampshire, we learned that this guy was on the run at the time that he killed Nikki Cleveland. He was on the run from California authorities for a bunch of attacks that he committed just months prior to Nikki's murder. And then we've talked about this a lot with escalations in crimes, especially sexually motivated crimes. And when the attacker was not identified by name, he was given the moniker of the want ad rapist. So it seems like this all started around May of 1979, Captain. This is when women in the San Francisco Bay Area experienced a terrifying phenomenon. The one ad rapist struck over and over again. The MO was always the same. The female victims, some of them with husbands, had run classified ads in the local papers that they were buying or selling an item of furniture, might be a crib or a high chair or sewing machine, items typically owned by women, but occasionally some other household items as well. A man would call the home telephone number in the ad and set up a meeting to view the item. Somehow the man would often finagle a time to meet the sellers at their homes when they were home alone. This would be typically during the work day. When he showed up, if a man answered the door, he would pull a gun and rob him. If a woman answered the door, he would be sure that they were alone. And after pretending to be interested in conducting the sale transaction, he would turn on the unsuspecting woman. He would pull a gun and he would take them to a bedroom where he would bind them with wire or surgical tape. And he would tape over their eyes and he would gag them. Then he would rape them. Afterwards, he would leave them tied up and helpless while he ransacked and robbed their homes. Then he would disappear. Now, the rapist did not appear to discriminate based on what the victims looked like, simply would respond to these ads. And as said, if there was a man, he would pull a gun and rob him. If, if, if it was a woman that answered the door, he would make sure that they were alone. And then he would attack, rape, and rob, and then flee. Right. Police all over the area were scrambling to catch this guy. He struck again and again and again and in multiple areas. There were 13 known victims of this evil scheme, and of course, many more were suspected. Word of his activities spread all over the state of California, much like the Golden State Killer or the original Night Stalker. But there's also a level of sophistication here because if the plan was just, 
I only attack females, then the male victims, which if he didn't decide to rob them, they would be able to get a better look at him. Correct. And and so when you put somebody in in a state of fear or a state of shock, they're less likely to remember details about you. That is true. The the other strange thing though is you you reference that level of sophistication. It is a little weird that he doesn't attempt to disguise himself as far as we know. I have been told and read that this guy was kind of a Ted Bundy type that his appearance could change fairly dramatically right with the addition of facial hair or a different haircut so maybe he was using those techniques sometimes people sometimes offenders will wear glasses when they don't need them so he could have been using those techniques and you're right you 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 stick a gun in somebody's face guess what they're paying attention to now right the gun not your face not your bright shiny teeth I'm guessing because he's not disguising himself. And of course, if he was wearing a ski mask, nobody's answering the door if they see that in advance. Right. Unless they have reverse peepholes. But given given his MO, it's very easy to connect these crimes for law enforcement. These are women that are placing ads, selling an item, dude calls about said item, and then attacks the woman in their home. So in November of 1980, we have the Redwood City Police. They're like, hey, we got to come up with a plan and catch this guy. So what they did was they placed a, air quotes, dummy ad, similar to the ones that the rapist had responded to in the past, and used a female officer to answer the phone when he called the phone number in the ad. So this is much like, what's his name, Chris Hansen? You show up uh, to the underage girl's home and Chris Hansen's sitting there and the dude walks in and he goes, you know, what are you doing here? How to catch a predator? Yeah. Hey, I got a pizza. So they use this, a very similar technique, place this ad in the paper. They got the a female officer answering the phone and they give him an address to show up to. And of course he shows up. They arrest the guy. Now, here's the problem. When the guy that they the guy shows up and he's arrested, this doesn't confirm 100% that this is your rapist that you're looking for. In a perfect world, you would let him start committing the crime, but you can't take that chance. No, because his MO is to pull a gun. Right. And now you have a, a, a very bad situation. Criminal with a gun on your officer. And even if you can storm the place, you still run the risk of him shooting her or shooting a bunch of other people in the process before you can take him out. Yeah, but what you do is you take a vote and the least liked person on the law enforcement team, I don't care if it's a secretary, the least likely person in that department, you put them as the bait. Yeah, so this is a good plan. However, he's not going to show up to the scene and go, hey, it's me, the one ad rapist. So the guy that they arrest could just be a normal, innocent-looking person. Yeah, but what they can do is take that picture and put him in a lineup and see if any of the other victims can identify him. So what they do here, Captain, is they're going to at least give him an interview and ask him a bunch of questions. Now... 
They do the interview process. It sounds like nothing to them screamed out. This is our guy. He's the rapist. And they don't have really any evidence to connect him. One, one thing that I'll, I will criticize the police here in this matter. Oh, here we go. Is you would think that a red flag would go immediately up when you find a roll of heavy duty tape in his vehicle when he showed up to the scene. Yeah, but it depends. We know tape was used in the other crimes. No, no, I understand that, but it, it all depends on what else you find in that trunk. I mean, I know some of my friends that are very handy and they, they help their friends with home projects whenever need be, that they'll have you know some tools and some, some items like tape and, and other things in their car at all times. The other major red flag should have been the guy you arrested, Joel Bill Kalk, had a previous record. He's a criminal. He had been convicted at the age of 22 in March of 1970 for burglary, assault with a deadly weapon, assault to commit rape, and rape with force. Sounds to me like you got your guy. Anyway, in 1970... Go ahead. But this is the problem that we always talk about, and this is... You know, as much as these cases, you know, we can criticize, you know, little tiny moves or big moves that law enforcement make or don't make. But the fact of the matter is you can have a bunch of red flags, but that doesn't mean you can convict the person. 100%. I agree with you. And, 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 and that's where I, I always feel for law enforcement because they're constantly asked to do things that most normal individuals wouldn't do. I mean, just like you were saying, the, a guy smells an odor, goes into the woods, finds a dead body. He then has to call the police. The police then have to confirm that. That would not be a fun day on the job. For the 1970 burglary assault with a deadly weapon and rape, Joel Bill Kalk received five years in prison. Unfortunately, he gets out for good behavior after 20 months. So he's released in December of 1971. So let me say that again. He did less than two years for rape. That's shameful. That, uh, yeah. And again, that, but the, sometimes law enforcement or prosecutors, their hands are tied. So they're just, they're trying to get some kind of time to get this animal off the street. Well, they got five years. It, it was up to the corrections that let him out for the good behavior, but we're not done with his police record yet. I'm so tired of this good behavior shit. And just like the case that we're talking about, uh, I believe it was last week when, when they, when the time of the crimes, the person is a drunk and an alcoholic and can't have those substances in prison, then yes, they might behave themselves a little bit better or they might behave themselves because there's bigger animals and bigger monsters that are locked away with them. And if they don't behave themselves, they're going to get killed. And so when they get out, then they prey on weaker individuals. So I just think this whole good behavior shit should go away. Just get rid of it. You do a crime, you're going to do the full time. I don't give a shit how well you're behaving yourself when you're watching your basic cable and you're listening to podcasts in your cell. Just sit there and rot. Well, we're not done with his police record yet. 
Because Sorry, I'm, I'm, and, I'll, I'll step off my soapbox well, and, for a and, second. Well, and this is why I'm saying it's shocking to me that they're, they don't believe that they have their guy. And you're right. They don't have anything to 100% take this to court and convict the one ad rapist. But, I mean, listen to the similarities in this next crime. This takes place in April of 1974. This is when he knocks on a woman's front door in Santa Maria. And he asked to use her phone. Of course, 1974, this is a lot more common. Nobody would do that today. Uh, and if they do, don't let them into your home. But as soon as he's inside the house, and as soon as the door is closed, he pulls a handgun. He tapes her eyes and mouth shut. He brought tape with him to the scene for this purpose. He rapes the woman, steals money from her purse, and then leaves the home. That, to me, sounds nearly 90% identical to the want-ad rapist MO. Yes. So the survivor is able to very specifically give a great description, a very specific description to police who work up a composite sketch this sketch is circulated to local law enforcement and the police would later say that the sketch in the, the witnesses statement, the victim statements is what led them to the perpetrator. So the police quickly tie this attack and rape to Joel Kalk. He's already out. He's on parole in a nearby County for that earlier rape conviction that he got out on good behavior. And they suspect him in several other cases at the time as well. So once again, he is sent away. And this is from mid-1974 until early 1979. I don't understand why we don't have longer sentences for rape anyways. If, we we if, do today. This is the 70s, right? So w what we're seeing here is you have to chalk some of this up to it being the seventies and sex crimes against women, unfortunately were being overwhelmingly ignored by the legal system at that time. And we've, we've done some good work in the decades later to correct this. Uh, but uh, I guarantee you if men were, if men were getting raped as often as women were, we'd have, we'd have sentences up to life for, for even just attempted rape while he's in prison for the second time again, gets out in 1979, a prison psychiatrist who evaluated him said that this said that he was well on his way to working through his basic conflicts and, and labeled Joel a good candidate for parole. This guy is, this guy's a, uh, the Fami Malik of the psychiatric world well and we know what we know captain is these individuals that cannot be rehabilitated and this man certainly fits that description that when they are in prison yeah they might be behaving well and good behavior while they're in prison but a lot of times they're simply sitting there plotting and coming up with a more sophisticated way to commit the same crimes that landed them there in the first place they are refining their mo and they should do what they did to that sicko and true detective get rid of the weapon therefore 
that individual couldn't commit a rape ever again. Well, what they do is they take his picture, they take his information, they show it around to the one ad rapist victims, and we have several of the victims saying, yeah, that's the guy. You you did get the right guy. Right. So in November of 1980, warrants for the arrest of Joel Bill Kalk were issued by Santa Clara County, and there were also warrants that were issued for rapes and robberies in three other counties as well. But Kalk was not so dumb. He didn't want to go back to prison. He had been there twice before. He wanted to continue to rape and rob people. So he split town. He was in the wind. And in fact, nobody could find Joel for 19 months. Authorities finally caught up with him in North Carolina. That's when Kalk admitted to eight of the attacks in several different counties that took place in 1980. But he didn't really take responsibility because he told police that he struggled with a, quote, bad guy inside of himself who emerged about once a month and drove him to do the bad things that he did. Joel said that he couldn't recall the victims or what they looked like. They were just objects to him. He said that he answered hundreds of ads, calling them to find a woman alone. And he told police that he wanted psychiatric treatment to rid himself of this alter ego. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com garage today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash garage. This show is proudly sponsored by BetterHelp. Check out BetterHelp.com garage today. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn 
at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And You can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, we are back. Talk in the air. Cheers to everybody in the back. 
tall cans in the air. That's right. Wait, hold on, hold on. Joe, 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 are you listening? Hello, Joe. All right, Joe, Joe's back. He's with us. We can so start by again. July of 1982, Joel Kalk is up to it and is up to his neck in it by now, right? He's been extradited to New Hampshire on the armed robbery and rape warrant. And five additional charges were added for burglaries and rapes that he had committed in the Granite State. He ended up pleading guilty to six charges of rape, armed robbery, and burglary for crimes that he committed in New Hampshire. This in June and July of 1982. In June 1983, a New Hampshire judge sentenced him to 10 to 20 years for aggravated felonious sexual assault and five to 10 for burglary to be served consecutively. So he wouldn't be eligible for parole until 1998. But New Hampshire wasn't the only state that wanted its pound of flesh. California got in line, filing charges against him for the attacks that he confessed to in their state. Now, how this works normally, right, is if he is charged first in one state, even if the crimes took place earlier in a different state, if he's charged first in state A, he has to then live out that sentence first. And then when he's done being sentenced for that, he doesn't get to be released. He has to then face charges from the from state B. Typically, yes, that's how it works. Sometimes if you're convicted of a much more heinous crime in another state. Sometimes they will send you off to that state to face the charges and, yeah. and, and uh, FaceTime there. Well, and if I was the judge and he was saying, hey, look, don't put me in prison. You know, we can work this out. I'd say, look, here's what we're going to do. We are going to waterboard you. We're going to cane you. We're going to do this repeatedly for years. Less years than you'd serve in prison. And if you can survive, we might think about letting you out. So now we're in 1983, right? And we have the convictions in New Hampshire. We have this individual in custody that gets convicted. He also confesses to all of the crimes in New Hampshire that he's charged with and to a lot of the crimes that he ends up getting charged with in California. He, as part of these confessions, he says the rape charges are true, but that a demon inside of him, a separate person with uncontrollable urges and drives, they made him act. They, they were controlling him. And he's going to use this part to be a defense in, in his defense on the charges of murder of Nikki Cleveland. So just so we're clear, let's circle back to those murder charges in that trial. Yeah, Captain. So we had touched on this a little bit yesterday when we said that, hey, they have the phone records that show that the calls came from his home to the real estate agent's office and home the day before she met with the potential buyer and was kidnapped and then found dead. We also have the evidence that we stated about the gun that he had stole from somebody in an attack that he committed in California, telling police that he used it for other criminal activity after stealing the weapon, 
Police say that they tracked down bullets at a firing range that matched, ballistically matched the bullets that they found in the victim, Nikki Cleveland. But that wasn't it. The additional evidence that they have was that Joel Kalk left work at 1130 on the day of the murder without explanation. And this was July 13th. He doesn't return to work until July 16th. Doesn't tell, doesn't come up with an an explanation why he missed work, where he was, what had happened. But we know he's unaccounted for at the time of the kidnapping because the appointment was set for 1 to 2 p.m. on the 13th. We don't know where Joel is after 11.30 a.m. on that day. And nobody can tell us where he is. The other thing, too, is we have our eyewitness who says, yes, Joel Kalk looks exactly like the guy that I saw that day driving a green-blue, blue-green vehicle, as she described it. And later we learned that he owned a blue Ford Maverick. At his trial, the prosecutor told the jury, quote, Mr. Kalk is a man who has raped and abused women coast to coast. He is a monster. The state presented evidence from a deputy medical examiner that Nikki was shot in the head while she was kneeling, her hands bound behind her back. She was killed where she was found. Kalk had marched her into the woods, made her kneel, and shot her. At the trial, Kalk did not take the stand. The jury found him guilty of Nikki's murder. This was in July 1987. She was killed in 81. They deliberated for less than two hours. So it sounds like the evidence, the mountain of evidence against him was enough to convince them in relatively quick fashion. At sentencing, Kalk addressed the court. He maintained his innocence in Nikki Cleveland's case. He pointed out that he had pled guilty to other crimes he had been convicted of. He said that he pled guilty in those crimes because, quote, I put my victims through enough without putting them through something again in a trial. The reason we had a trial in this case is because I didn't do it. And that's the only reason, end quote. The judge was not moved by this statement. In fact, the judge said, quote, The mere fact that you admit to some and don't admit to this doesn't mean a thing to me. He cited the sophistication, premeditation of the crime and the lack of remorse. The judge's job, as he saw it, was to make sure that Joel Kalk never sees the light of day again. Right. So he sentenced him to life in prison without parole. Well, like we said, I mean, there's a level of sophistication with him. You know, if I show up to this crime and it's a female, I do this crime. I act this way. If it's a male, I act this way. But there's an escalation. And so he's raped and he's robbed and assaulted so many people. And now we have this murder. It's the only murder that he's charged with. I I have it. I have a hard time believing that this was the first one. Or the only one, right? Right, Because the the whole situation with our victim, Nikki Cleveland here, to me is, it's a little bizarre. So she 
unfortunately bears the dubious distinction of being the only one of his victims that we know of who he actually killed. I did see a report and I wish that I could have found the victim's name so we could get details of that crime. But I saw a mention that he is suspected in at least one murder in California. But I, again, couldn't find any information on that case or if it's even still outstanding, if it's still open. Right. Because a lot of this information that we were able to pull on this guy came from the time period, came from 1981, 1986, 1987. So in 86, he's indicted for the murder of Nikki Cleveland in Maine. We do know that sometimes these rapists graduate, if you will, to a more severe crime of murder. It's not terribly uncommon. The other thing, though, too, is we know he was on the run from California authorities for pretty for crimes that he he did. He had the same M.O. each time, and it's a pretty specific M.O., So he could have gone to Maine, and as he says, he's got this thing inside of him that once a month makes him do these bad things. Yeah, I believe the doctors call that a serial killer's monthly period. Clearly, he couldn't control his urges to victimize a woman, and maybe this was the only one. Maybe he did it this way. Maybe he kidnapped her, put her in the trunk of his car, drives to another location, and kills the witness, the victim, because he thought, well, police will easily put this together and figure out that I am on the run for similar crimes in California if I let this victim live. Right. So maybe she is the only one. Listeners, not to give everybody a homework assignment, but if anybody has a clue what this other case is that he might have been suspected for in California, please send us the information. We would really like to know. We would really like to to review it and cross-reference it with the information that we've built up against this guy because I, frankly, have a hard time believing that he didn't kill somebody else. Yeah, I mean, again, because of the escalation, but also this guy is in every definition of the word he is a sick monster we already talked about mary critchley the person that was found august 9th 1981 found nine days after nikki cleveland and the she's always been suspected to be a victim of the connecticut river valley killer who had a very specific mo that is very different than the crimes we know that joel Kalk committed but we do not get a cause of death in her case because of the decomp that took place. The medical examiner wasn't able to, co- to determine the cause of death, and we don't get any information as to what type of injuries she suffered. What I'm getting at here, Captain, is a lot of times these guys, the crimes they're committing, yes, he has orchestrated some of this, He's put some of these in place by responding to ads in California, but it wouldn't be difficult to believe that he's probably driving around with a rape kit in his car at all times. If we have victims that 
in Connecticut River Valley cases that are hitchhiking, who's to say if he's willing to walk into somebody's home and do this to them there, there's nothing preventing him from picking up an unsuspecting hitchhiker, offering her a ride, and then pulling a gun on her there. Right. So it's really difficult to believe. It, and it's it's. I know they tell us this might be the only murder that he committed, but it's a it's a very hard pill to swallow. But he's also robbing these victims, and by robbing those victims, then he doesn't have to have a full time employment, which just gives him more of a chance to have more opportunities. Another strange thing that this guy did once he's in prison, right. Apparently, he didn't want to serve out the sentence or at least serve a long sentence of life in prison with no parole. So at some point, he decides to stop eating. Hunger strike. Yeah, but not necessarily a hunger strike because he has no demands for them to fill. Right. It's just, I'm not eating. I'm going to wither away and die. Well, they don't like this. They should have just let him die. Law, law enforcement does not like this. They want him to serve the sentence that he was convicted of and sentenced to. They want him to live, like you said earlier, Captain, sit in prison and rot. Rot yeah, away. But, but I have an issue with this. I mean, because the taxpayers have to pay for that rotting away. That's true. And so if the guy just doesn't want to eat, and then go, hey, let us know when you can't take it anymore. I have been easily swayed to your side, Captain, but this is a, a part of the, an interesting part of the story. Yeah. So the New Hampshire Supreme Court decides, you know what? No, 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 Joel Kalk. You are not in charge here, buddy. Because he's saying, look, I have a constitutional right to die without interference from the state. Mm. So they determine that he's mentally competent to make such a decision, but they decided that we are going to permit the correction correctional facility to force feed you. If you will not eat. Can you imagine you're a correction officer and you have to hold a grown man down and And force food into his face. They say, Hey, um, I know it's Monday, but, uh, and I, but we got to pull you into the office because we got a mission for you. You know that um, Joel Cock, you're going to have to force feed that son of a bitch. Well, and you know what's what's kind of interesting too, some weird psychology here is we know that rape is more often about power and control and less about the sex act itself. And look at all the women he victimized that he forced himself on them and here he is now sitting in a cell and they are force feeding him so of course he's not going to like this either and they it sounds to me like they force fed him just enough to keep him alive it wasn't something like they were like oh we got to give him three meals a day no nothing like that it was like once every few days they force fed this dude he at some point says look i'm not i don't want to go through this routine of being force fed every few days he did lose a whole bunch of weight well, i, he I didn't saw like a picture the power of him being taken away from him 
I saw a picture of him and then one that was taken about a year later and he looked like a skeleton version of himself. Mm-hmm. And he he agrees that he's going to like drink milk and and drink juices and things like that uh so that they won't have to force feed him going forward. But this knucklehead's antics don't stop there. No, this is a very violent individual and when we when we criticize the justice system for the lack of justice in the rape cases in the 1970 case and then again in 1974 Unfortunately, there were other people that were victimized, including our murder victim, Nikki Cleveland, that one could make a very strong argument that those people would never have had to experience what they did. Nikki Cleveland may still be alive if they had proper sentences for crimes of rape back in the early 70s, that this guy might have been locked up during that time. Now, what is clear to me is I think regardless of how long you lock him up, when he gets out, he's going to go back to committing these crimes and, and maybe even escalate into more violent crimes like he did with the Cleveland case. We had John Douglas who told us when we talked about prison sentences and the death penalty and things like that, we talked to him and he said, Nick, Captain, the problem with some of these individuals is you cannot rehabilitate a person who has never been habilitated to begin with. I agree. In 1987, while serving out his life sentence, Joel slashed another inmate. This inmate's name is Robert Duff. Slashed him with a razor blade 24 times in the face, arms, and back. Duff was serving time for five counts of felonious sexual assault. So hard to have any sympathy for Robert Duff. That made me, that just made me think of remember celebrity death match on MTV when we were kids. Yes. Maybe that's what they should do in some of these prisons. I don't know. know, Just saying. Well, and and the thing is, is if they put it on pay-per-view that we could take the money and instead of taxpayers' money paying for these animals to be fed, and I know they're not fed well, but... Gruel. I mean, yeah, it's it's one step below dog food. No wonder he quit eating. Yeah, I, yeah, that's, it's a privilege. Here's another victim of Kalk, though, as well, because... In 1981, a woman placed an ad for a waterbed for sale. This is in North Carolina, Jacksonville, North Carolina. On March 31st, a man called her at home around 9 a.m. and made an appointment to see this waterbed. When he arrived at her home at 10 a.m., she took him to the basement to see the, the bed frame and then to a bedroom to see the remainder of the waterbed. When they're in the bedroom, this man turns a gun on her and threatens her life. He tapes her hands behind her back, tapes her eyes shut, gags her with her underpants, and ties her feet together. He then rapes her and the then flees. You know, robs the house, steals some jewelry and some valuables, and splits. The victim was able to describe her attacker in detail and was hypnotized 
to enhance her recall. Then she's shown a photo lineup that included the image of a man named Leo Walters, who had been arrested in the same jurisdiction for very minor crimes, unrelated minor crimes. She identified him. She points to him and says, that's the guy that attacked me. Right. Blood typing evidence at the time in the rape kit showed that the rapist was type O blood, which Leo Waters was. That sucks. So this man is convicted in 1982 and given two consecutive life sentences. While in prison, he petitioned for an updated DNA test of the samples that were taken from the rape. Now, it wasn't until 2003 that sophisticated STR testing finally excluded Leo Waters. He was not the rapist. Someone else was. So all the charges against Waters, was they were dismissed by the district attorney in November of 2003. He was released after serving 21 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. And the STR sample from the rape kit was finally entered into CODIS in 2005, and it got a hit. It comes back to Joel Bill Kalk, another rape victim, and this poor man, Joe Waters, serves 21 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. Yeah, I feel awful for him, but I also feel awful for the victim because she thought he was the right guy. So then she feels like there's some just justice and then when she finds out he's not the right guy, it's like she's victimized all over again. And then she probably feels awful that she had a hand in putting this innocent man behind bars for so long. I mean, it's just what a messy situation. Joel Bill Kalk remains in maximum security prison to this day. It's not clear when he is scheduled to be released, but when he is, Maine, California, and most likely North Carolina are all vying to be next on the list of states that he gets to visit on his prison tour because he will be locked up for the rest of his life. But his crimes were not careful. They weren't well-planned. He didn't disguise his face and his scheme of pretending to be a legitimate purchaser, chit-chatting with his intended victims almost ensured that they would get a good look at him before he had the opportunity to blindfold them. He used a gun stolen in one of his crimes to commit murder. He made appointments with his victims from his home phone. But what's scary about somebody like Joel Kalk is, is not his cunning or his level of planning. It's, it's that like of Ted Bundy he was very much able to operate comfortably within mainstream society. He was well-liked, even admired by some, with no one guessing that he harbored the bad guy inside of him who would urge him at any given moment to strike again. I want to thank everybody for joining us here again in the garage on our way to a thousand and one episodes. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading? 
This week, Captain, we are very happy to be recommending Stealing Manhattan, the untold story of America's billion-dollar gem heist masterminds by the great Burl Bear. This is a detailed story about a mega heist that involved the taking of over $1 billion in diamonds, gold, precious gems, and currency that has gone unsolved till this very day. But fortunately, some of these masterminds, some of the people involved, have opened up to Burl Bear. Check out Burl Bear's latest book, Stealing Manhattan. You can find that great title and many other wonderful recommendations on our recommended page, truecrimegarage.com. And when you're over on the website, go uh, sign up on YouTubes. Go go subscribe to the YouTubes for us or sign up on the mailing list. What it's it's up to you. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.